0: Yes, welcome back everybody to the morality of everyday things. I'm Jacob. I'm Anthony. And on this podcast we look at the kind of moral questions you might ask in your everyday lives, such as when is lockdown justified, (laughs) especially topical recently, or in today's episode are you a bad person if you work at Facebook?
1: Worth saying we're longtime friends, we studied together, studied a mix of philosophy, economics, business at Oxford University. You're welcome that I cut that intro a little shorter, I've listened to too many podcasts recently where they, they really self-indulge and talk about themselves. So this is all of the talking about ourselves that we'll do. So in this podcast, our aim isn't to tell you what to think, you know, we're not going to say, we'll tell you what our opinions are, but we won't say that they're the right answers. It's more important to help provide a framework, how to approach these questions of, you know, ethical sorts, and how to draw your own conclusions. How do you break down a question? How do you think about it like a philosopher, or at least an undergrad philosopher? <laughs> and how do you decide the answer, if, if there is an answer in your opinion? Mm, we've said before, one of the things we care about
0: is nuance. And this is quite a fun question, because when I've been asking people this week, Everybody quite quickly jumps to either yes or no. You are a bad person, you aren't. And people do seem quite divided on the subject.
1: I think one one interesting response I got was I don't believe in the term bad person. <laughs> okay. No, I mean to be fair, like that, that sounds ridiculous and like hippie, but I actually got their point. I think the spirit in which it was meant was that, you know, you can do bad things. But nothing makes you a bad person, mm. right? Nothing, nothing is irredeemable, etc.
0: It's interesting because a question like this tempts you into a yes or no answer.
1: Yeah, no, it, it certainly does. And I mean, thinking about the people working at Facebook, we'll touch on this in much more depth. But you know, one one clear takeaway is, you know, if you're if you're the cleaner, then or, or if you're doing something good, cleaning up fake news. Hey, hey, hey good fun there. <laughs> so you did that. Um, then, you know, you're, prob- you're probably okay. But if you're, you know, Zuck himself, the alien sent to disrupt Western democracy, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I think you're, you're probably kind of a bad guy. Zuckerberg, if you're listening to this, please stop undermining Western democracy. It's cool that you're a listener, though. Okay, I mean, how, how bad is that? <laughs> big up, big up. So one of the things we like to do on this show
0: is ask controversial questions. They clickbaity, partly to grab your attention, but also guilty. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. but also because this is the way you might tend to phrase questions in your real life. Like if you know someone who works exactly. If you know someone who works at Facebook or is applying for a job there, or maybe you yourself are thinking about working there, or you work there, or or you actually work there, (laughs) (laughs) you might just wonder. Am I a terrible person, <laughs> or would
1: this make me a bad person? <laughs> yeah, it's it's like that Mitchell and Webb sketch. If you haven't seen it, it's lost on you. Just well, type in "Are we the baddies, or are we the bad guys?" <laughs> and then when uh, it's where they they look at each other and say, "Hans, are we the baddies? <laughs> We've got skulls on our helmets, <laughs> but, but why skulls?"
0: <laughs> anyway. That feeling of doubt that you might have when we pose this question and when you try and answer it, that's what we want to zone in on. That's where most of the interesting ethical questions lie in that kind of
1: gray area. Yeah. I mean, if there's not people who disagree on it, is it worth talking about? Yeah, exactly. That's what makes it interesting. Yeah. You know, one thing definitely worth pointing out is that before we just go on saying, oh, Facebook's terrible. Clearly, Facebook has done a lot of good in the world, too. It's it's Mm -hmm. not all bad. The mission, initially, aside from helping Zuck pick up chicks at Harvard, um, <laughs> was was to connect the world. And to be fair, they've they really succeeded in doing that. You know, they've got like over 20%, 25% of the world's population over to network. Yep. And a ton of bots, too. <laughs> um, and that has brought people together. And I know, I know that personally, everyone complains about social media, but I've, I've had loads of instances of genuine interactions with social media most days that actually are nice. I'm not a huge user of Instagram, but, you know, you see a story update from a friend you haven't spoken to in a while, you see what they're up to, and it's like, oh, that's cool. Nice mm. to see what they're up to.
0: Yeah, there's there's a lot of positives. I sometimes forget that WhatsApp is a form of social media, but the way yeah. it lets you stay in touch with groups of friends, that's, yeah. that's fantastic. Brings exactly. a lot of joy.
1: And, you know, also, of course, shout out to Rosemary, all the comments on our Facebook stuff. Business <laughs> podcast. Also, my, you know, my dad, Clive Daly, also a big fan on Facebook.
0: It's true where would we be without our parents supporting our business endeavors and our podcast yeah but it has been rather a long time since we've been seeing positive news stories about facebook and to be fair you're right back in the day when it started out there were some great stories of families reunited Lately, though, that PR tone has shifted and Facebook's PR has all been about mitigating disasters like data breaches, fake news, election interference by foreign powers. And it just goes on and on.
1: Obviously, all fake news itself, right? Meta. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) But yeah, before we fully launch into that question, that kind of shows there's a bit of nuance to whether Facebook is bad. And also, we should do what all good philosophers do or all good philosophy students are taught to do. And that's to carefully look at this question and consider what it really means. And think about some of the specific terms, especially because we've taken an everyday question. So first up, what does it mean to be a bad person? What is it to be bad? And what is Facebook? I mean, you know, if you're listening to this, you know, you know what Facebook is, we've, we've even described it a bit. But what we mean by that is, When we ask the question, are you a bad person for working at Facebook? Why is Facebook the the one we're mentioning, right? What what, what does Facebook mean there? We're really using it as a topical example of an organization that's, you know, in the common current zeitgeist, seem to be causing harm.
0: And it's true. I mean, we could have picked Google. We could have picked Twitter.
1: Oh, another connotation actually worth pointing out is that the people working there tend to be highly intelligent, very well paid, Mm -hmm. right? People say, like, Walmart sucks, but no one is shaming people for working at Walmart. Well, maybe the senior levels, but, you know. In the yeah, shops yeah. and stuff. Or, or an Amazon warehouse worker, yeah, for example. Exactly. You know, although people are complaining about Amazon, no one's like, oh, I can't believe those warehouse workers are there you know, <laughs> filling boxes. Oh, such terrible people. But yeah, we, we could have also picked big fossil fuel focused companies, you know, BP, Shell, whatever, they are contributing to climate change.
0: We could have picked an investment bank like Goldman Sachs, which was once described as a vampire squid on the face of
1: humanity. I love that. Is a vampire squid a real animal? I'm not sure. Yeah. sounds sinister. Oh, man. Squids, are, you know, you eat them and stuff, but they're kind of scary looking. Right? Especially giant squids. Yeah, giant squid. Ooh. Okay, so let's, let's kind of go through all these terms.
0: Firstly, there's a difference between doing something bad or being a bad person. I suppose an adequate definition is that being a bad person is behaving in a consistently bad way. It's a bit open to interpretation here. Like, going to work can be very consistent. Yeah, that's pretty consistent. <laughs> but, but then again, on the scale of a life with good reasons, you know, a few years somewhere can perhaps be just like an understandable blip or something. Mm-hmm. And then what does it mean for something to be bad? So when we're talking about something being bad or good, we're making a subjective judgment. It's an opinion. And normally in philosophy, bad or good are judgments attached to outcomes. So like your favorite team winning a game, that's a good outcome, but it's a bad outcome for the opponent they play that loses. Point there simply is just that it's
1: subjective. So when we get into the realm of the moral, We tend to frame things in the subtly different right or wrong instead of good or bad. That's not to say that good or bad aren't morally relevant. It depends on how you structure your approach to morality. So if you are, for example, a consequentialist, which is someone who says that the way that you determine the morality of an action is to look at the outcomes, then the goodness or badness of these outcomes determine how moral something is. If your work involves saving lives or offsetting carbon, then those are good outcomes under most normal ways of judging. So you would consider those to be moral work. Importantly, though, some philosophies
0: specifically try to define right and wrong independent of the subjective good and bad. So a famous example is Kant, and he basically ends up fathering rules-based morality rather than outcome-based morality. So to simplify his beliefs into a couple of sentences, one, we must respect humans as ends in themselves, i.e. it is never okay to do something to a human with the reasoning of I needed to do this to achieve X. And two, moral rules should remain consistent if applied universally. So don't kill. That makes sense. That works with both the rules. Give most of your money to others actually doesn't make much sense because it wouldn't work in practice if we all did it. So Kant's approach has some issues. Like we can always come up with convoluted examples of situations where something conventionally bad could seem critical to doing what's right.
1: Mm. Most
0: simply telling a white lie to spare someone's feelings, for example, or Subduing a murderer. And um, word,
1: subduing, right? Yeah.
0: We've got some good examples of this on our YouTube channel. Check it out. There's a funny selection of clips taken from previous episodes where we go into Kant in a lot more detail. Yeah. So
1: importantly, we can justify something conventionally bad if it has good mid to long term, or it's part of some greater good in mm-hmm. a consequential framework, right? Also, it's really important to consider, for both understandings, the reason for doing something, because it's an important part of whether it's bad or wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a consequentialist, if we're doing something bad, and we, as I said, understand that it's that necessary step to some greater good. Uh, we may say that it's permissible or even, you know, even a good thing. Uh, it's, it's not okay to eat people, right? We discussed this a bit in the veganism one. Uh, but if it's life or death, it's normally permissible. Well, you know, some people say it's permissible. Yeah, certainly more permissible than normal. You know, last time someone caught me eating someone, it was not cool. Uh, <laughs> another example, it's not okay to attack people. But like we said above, if you're subduing a murderer, it's okay. It's not okay to kill people. But if you've gone back in time and see Hitler in 1935, <laughs> maybe it's okay. Maybe that's an unnuanced perspective on history because actually there was a lot of tension in, in Europe in 1935.
0: And Who knows what that would have yeah. been. Maybe it'd subdivided. be worse. Yeah.
1: Maybe whoever he was replaced him would have. But that's getting into like time paradox. Now. It's so easy to bring yeah. things back to the Nazis. Yeah. The point is, sometimes you can actually justify doing something bad. For Kant in terms of how does the reason that we're doing something relate to the morality of it. From his perspective, you should be doing the right thing because you recognize that it's your duty, not because it's good, because you recognize it's what you should do. So that's a result of that requirement of treating people as ends in themselves. It sounds a little bit weird, but, but put it like this. If you're helping starving kids in Africa because, oh my God, that's so good for my like PR image, <laughs> or, or even just to kind of satisfy that feeling of making yourself feel good, as opposed to because you acknowledge they need the help and it's it's your duty to do that it feels icky i mean you know it, it certainly if you take that extreme case where you're aggrandizing yourself through the practice you can kind of understand that intuitive reason that like oh the reason to do the right thing is because because it's the right thing and, and not because it's attached to like some things that i consider good icky here is
0: a philosophical term meaning more <laughs> than or? no it, it relates to the <laughs> philosopher thomas ick <laughs> right and anyway that's that's all relevant here too isn't it because you're not a bad person if you're doing something bad for compelling reasons or as a part of some bigger picture that may have meant it was like a necessary step to some greater good so what you're saying
1: yeah exactly from from some perspectives
0: okay so now let's turn to the second definition which is facebook <laughs> Facebook was an easy and relevant target for this question, given its impact on the 2016 US elections, and hence the role it's playing now in the upcoming 2020 election.
1: Oh, quickly, did you hear that they said we'll be banning all political ads after this election? (laughs) (laughs) The most consequential election pretty much
0: ever. Of all time. So a lot's been written about the negatives of social media, and particularly since that Cambridge Analytics scandal broke in 2018. I guess, importantly, it's up for debate whether Facebook is net harmful so obviously it's done a lot of good as we mentioned but it's also facilitated a lot of harm we'll go into a little bit more detail it's done harm passively in the case of letting people use and abuse it and actively in its efforts to addict
1: people and generally in its policies of putting growth above user experience i think part of what led us to choosing it was that recent documentary the social dilemma and that's kind of what has brought us here
0: what what did you make of the show
1: i I think it was interesting i think it was as we'll discuss, important that it highlighted that Facebook isn't just a platform where normal discourse is happening, it's a platform that is shaping discourse in a negative way. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing that was really harmful was the way that it kind of used those kind of CGI of like the model of the guy. There were, <laughs> there were literally three people like, I need to send him an ad because his girlfriend is, is I don't yeah. know, his ex is a boyfriend or whatever.
0: My, my, my feeling was the documentary elements where they were interviewing people who worked at either Facebook or other platforms like YouTube, and been part of the design that was really interesting there's stuff I already knew from reading other things Jaron Lanier etc but I thought they did a really good job of packaging that and making it clear what was wrong with Facebook but the dramatizations were
1: terrible (laughs) It's it's not just terrible I think it was kind of almost a little irresponsible because I can so see so many people having this impression that like there's a dude in Facebook who's assigned to them mm. who's like who's like <laughs> watching their every move or like, like Dave in Minnesota is, is probably gonna be hungry now send him an ad for a pizza and like, <laughs> no Dave you're cool don't worry man you're fine
0: yeah there are people who are designing the algorithms to try and promote harmful things and we'll come to that but it's not that there's any one person's job to like yeah be inside the platform and be yeah. like, okay, let's push this. Yeah. Like, let's dial up advertising here. Yeah, let's... no, it's,
1: it's literally just algorithms that are optimizing to outcomes, right? But um, that aside, I think the important thing that we took from it is that Facebook has definitely had an impact on politics directly through letting Russian trolls literally pay just like sponsor posts and sway people. But I think, and this is the, the insidious part that they kind of nudged at, the more concerning thing is the way in which that's actually kind of falling a little bit to the side. The real issue now is is a much more intrinsic or, or like deeply seated threat. And that's how it's become both deeply addicting and deeply polarizing and how the algorithms are actually incentivized to do that. And it's to Facebook's benefit to make mm. that worse and worse and worse. I recently heard of an ex-advisor, I, I'm going to mess up this name, Yale Einstadt whatever. Uh, Not whatever, but you know, however, sorry, that is pronounced. Uh, Whatever. Uh, Oh, she's like, you know, got like a big career and stuff. And she's super important. No, she is genuinely important. she? So she used to, well, she's had like a long history in intelligence, was an advisor to Biden, but relevant to Facebook was actually for a short period, their head of elections integrity, or some convoluted title of that sort. It was a short stint. And she's now a very sharp critic. And she kind of points out in this in this podcast, I was listening to, that trolls don't need to create negative content they just need to make bots that retweet and repost the the negative content that already exists it's crazy isn't it
0: and the reason this happens is because of the way the algorithms work the algorithms are designed to promote content that will engage people and what psychologists have found is that negative content is far more engaging than positive content now that's not to say that people don't love cute cat videos, etc. Hell yeah, we do. <laughs> exactly. It's not even
1: much of a cat person.
0: Yeah. <laughs> cute dog videos, whatever. But it does mean that content like conspiracies or arguments they naturally hook people's attention and get them spending more time on the site so why don't they have videos of like are
1: cats or dogs better (laughs) (laughs) they probably do i almost certainly do
0: so you can you can no doubt relate this to your own personal experience like i'm sure everyone has at one point been part of an argument where you keep posting and you want to walk away but then someone replies and you can't just leave it hanging there forever so you just keep adding more fuel to the fire and all the while Zuck is cackling in the background, like Dr.
1: Evil. I can't even remember, it's such an old movie, I can't remember. <laughs> 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 is, you know, like, like staccato, right? Uh, that's, as, that's as much as you get. I think as much as we hate to admit it, we've all had that experience, right? Like an mm. argument on the internet is really yeah. en- enticing and addictive. And it's funny, I often
0: think like, it's weird that you say things online that you'd never say in real life. You-, you Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> you can get much ruder and it's weird because yeah. it's still out there forever, yeah. you know? An and argument kind of, you say something in real life, it, it, only yeah. the memory, but.
1: I think the key here is that all of this is by design. It's no accident that Facebook and other social media companies uh, promote this kind of content. I'm really thinking of Twitter. We'll come back to that later. But Twitter <laughs> is a hellhole, man. Mm. And it's, it's, it's not even just that algorithm. It, it, it's baked into the way the site works. Like notifications are designed to trigger that kind of psychological response. And even the choice of the color red mm. is because red demands your attention in a way that other colors don't. They give you that, that sweet, sweet dopamine hit. Sweet, sweet dopamine and, oh. <laughs> and, and the reason Facebook does
0: this is because of the way their business model works. So I first came across this concept reading Jaron Lanier's book, which is called 10 Reasons to Delete Your Social Media Account Right Now, which I think it's a funny title, especially when you read it. But I feel like the title does more harm than like yeah, it's well, advertising. You, well, as in,
1: like, It's supposed to be an ironic take on like a BuzzFeed. It is, it is. But it just sounds like a BuzzFeed thing. <laughs> it
0: does, but it's a serious work of philosophy. It's excellent. I'd highly recommend it. The Social Dilemma also it does a good job of explaining this whole business model thing. So for most of us, we've become so used to services like Facebook and Google being free that we treat them almost like utilities. But we forget that someone has to pay for it. And the people paying are advertisers, which can be anyone from small companies to like mega international corporations. Or foreign countries. Now, these advertisers pump billions of dollars into these platforms because the platforms are just so good at capturing everyone's attention.
1: Well, attention and swaying their opinion, right? Mm. And here lies the problem. We think that we are Facebook customers, but we're not. The advertisers are Facebook's customers. That's who they want to make money from. Uh, And anyone who runs a business knows that you know, whoever is paying you is the person you pay the most attention to, right? <laughs> so Facebook's product exists to serve the advertisers, not to serve us. And this means for all their talk of connecting the world, the thing they most care about is getting as many people to spend as much time as possible on the site and, and to be as swayed as possible by the ads because mm. the more effectively they can sway someone with an ad, the more the advertiser will pay to be there. This also applies to Google and it would apply to Twitter if, you know, if they had any meaningful business. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. They're so, There's such a huge platform. The fact that, you know, they're so far and away behind Facebook. Yeah. And you know what? If you're listening to this, it's because of you, Jack Dorsey. <laughs> so we, 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 we hold some pretty high estimations of the people who listen to this. It's yeah. probably Dave from Minnesota. Who's actually <laughs> <listening to this. laughs>
0: it probably is. And I mean, they want Dave from Minnesota to see that his ex-girlfriend is in a new relationship because that's what's going to get him back on the platform, reading about conspiracy theories and clicking
1: on ads. Yes, good. You can see little men in the algorithm. They're like, can I, oh,
0: turn it up, oh, feed him more ads. So, all this talk about the business model isn't to say that the advertisers are evil either. Advertising has been around forever. What's different here is that this is a new playing field. Advertisers on Facebook have way more information about us before they start targeting us because Facebook lets them segment users so effectively. And there don't seem to be regulations controlling what kind of campaigns people are allowed to run. Like, take, for example, TV advertising to kids. Regulation has essentially protected that space, ensuring that kids aren't exposed to harmful content. But no such protections exist on Facebook. I mean, maybe in the future when you're listening to this, they might. And that's a great thing. But at the time of recording, mm. they don't. And YouTube, actually, it's just as bad. They're under a lot of pressure to clean up their
1: act when it comes to content that kids are seeing. And Facebook's position on all of this is, is essentially that like you're saying, what's the problem? It's the same as other advertisers. We're just a platform. We're just a tool. We're just a medium you know, no different to advertising in a newspaper. And in fact, I think a lot of people kind of argue along these lines that what they're facilitating is normal advertising and normal public discourse. It's just that the discourse happens to have got very bad. But there are definite subtle differences. Firstly, it heavily shapes our view of the objective world, Mm. uh, what ads were shown and what format it is, right? So when I read a left or right-leaning newspaper, you know, yes, maybe they're presenting a biased view. But first of all, everyone who reads that same newspaper reads the same biased view and is aware or in context can quite easily be made aware of which way that paper leans and know it's bias. But with Facebook, what you're shown instead is a very subversively biased truth. They prey on our attention in a way we may not realize. I think we've all seen some news and felt kind of internal, like, this is huge. How, how do more people not know about this and care about this? How do other people not see this? It's because they literally don't. <laughs> like that has been selected as something that you engage with. They're not being shown it. They're being shown whatever makes them feel incensed, engaged with. Before we did this podcast, you mentioned a thought experiment
0: to highlight how the algorithm actually works versus normal discourse.
1: Yes, it's not perfect, but you, you can kind of think of Facebook as, as a party planner, right? So if you're planning your own party, big dinner party whatever, you'd want everyone to have a good time that's what you want right you you would purposefully want to balance putting people you know near enough with people who have some similar interests but at the same time you wouldn't want to like create little siloed groups so that people aren't actually engaging with each other you'd want your booked entertainment to have decent mass appeal and be relatively like group friendly Mm -hmm. now in contrast imagine facebook who makes their money from attention not happiness it's sometimes easier to annoy people to engage them in fact you said that according to psychological studies, it's definitely easier to annoy people. Yeah, negative
0: emotions are more engaging.
1: Suppose they want to make it a party to remember, (laughs) good or bad. (laughs) It's ominous. Yeah, I mean, imagine that kind of setup. It it doesn't sound like a good setup. They'd book out, for example, a very controversial comedian, Mm. who, who they know appeals to some people in the group and would be reviled by the rest. They'd encourage the most outrageous and boisterous people by surrounding them with people who agree with them. It's essentially amplifying the discordant groups intentionally helping people flock into little siloed enclaves and and not be cohesive at a rate that's never been seen before. I suppose in the real world, when you're in a normal mix of party guests, you know, if you start saying something
0: QAnon-style crazy, you know, there'd be people to fact-check you. or yeah, of or course. You, you'd sort of tentatively
1: broach it like... Yeah, oh, what do you guys think of QAnon? I'd be like, that's crazy. Obviously, the lizard people actually run the world. They'd <laughs> be like, yeah, yeah, cool, just checking, just checking. Just checking, checking around the same yeah. page. Yeah. <laughs> You know, they're like, oh, it's, it's just free speech or whatever. But it's some sort of weird, distorted free speech where we're kind of letting both sides kind of fester their arguments separately and then only engage with each other when they've become so incensed and at such a fever pitch that their opinions are way too embedded and they're too angry to reasonably actually discuss anything.
0: And I mean we're we're joking about this. Obviously we're joking about QAnon, we're joking about lizard people. We're not
1: joking about the lizard people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's crazy the amount of people who now subscribe to QAnon theories and I read legitimate thing, people, like people in American
1: government. In it's American like, government. You're there. Where do you think it's happening?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I read even apparently even as many as a million Americans believe in the lizard people conspiracy. Really? Theory. That's yeah. amazing. That's kind of
1: stunning. The thing I find so funny is that like with these conspiracy theories it's not that I don't think, for insidious reasons, it could happen. But take Trump running America, right? Mm-hmm. If Trump can't run America, do I think that a secret government could be running things effectively and keeping it secret without anyone knowing? Like, mm. no, of course not. It's just too difficult. Do you know how you
0: tell if someone's a lizard person? You just use the secret handshake. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I don't know any <laughs> <a> secret handshake. <laughs> oh my god! I was going to say what I read is they only smile with their bottom teeth. it's a podcast so you can't see me doing that yeah but try it yourself look in the mirror yeah if you smile with your bottom
1: teeth you might be a lizard person
0: (laughs) okay so bring it back to the question the podcast a big question we've not got clarity on because the data is obviously not being released is whether people are being suggested conspiracy groups or whether they're actively searching for them now it's bad enough that facebook facilitates these little enclaves where groups of people can exclude dissenting voices and build up arguably harmful conspiracy plots But if Facebook is literally nudging people into them because they see it gets people engaged, that's like a whole nother level of moral culpability. If someone is suggested by Facebook to join a fringe conspiracy group that they otherwise wouldn't have, and then ends up committing terrorism on that group's behalf,
1: to what extent is that Facebook's fault? You give this example. I think that literally is suggested that it may have happened in the case of Pizzagate. Tell us about Pizzagate. So for those who don't know about Pizzagate, I think it's related to QAnon. I don't know. There's some supposition Mm. that there's There's a pizza restaurant in DC that has a pedophile ring in the basement? Yeah. I mean, the funny thing about that one is that it's so easy to verify it as incorrect. Like, (laughs) literally just, do you see a bunch of guys with, or, or, you know, I don't want to be sexist, people with young children kind of taking them into a basement there. Like, how do you think that would be missed? QAnon is hard to verify. This specific pizza place has pedophiles in the basement. <laughs> it's like, anyway,
0: what's funny is a guy broke into the pizza restaurant with guns. Know, the, and yeah, guns right? to basically yeah. raid it and and verify this fact. And it's funny that he didn't do like a fact finding mission before this. Yeah, he he could have just turned
1: up without the guns, right? He could have yeah. just been like, yeah, had a look about. I think the funny thing is there's a video of the cops stopping him. And like, they asked the guy, like, what are you doing? He says, checking if there's a pedophile ring and this pizza shop. And then he like, says, yeah. ring. <laughs> yeah, okay, so pedophile ring. And then the people say like, what? what? And the guy with the camera says, oh God, it's that pizza gate thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, obviously, like we said, there's a huge difference in Facebook's moral culpability. First of all, it's one thing to allow those groups to exist. But if they're nudging people into them, that, mm. you know, is that making it their fault that these people, are they radicalizing people? It's definitely something yeah. to think about, isn't it? And in fact, actually talking about radicalizing people, like it's well known that institutions like ISIS have mm. used social media to radicalize people. So. Wow. <laughs> what, a, what a moment to move on. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a lot of time and focus on Facebook specifically. Like we said, I mean, the overarching argument can apply to any companies that are perceived as harmful but i mean this specific part kind of can't this is this
1: is facebook stuff it applies
0: to twitter though right (laughs) (laughs) but as you said everyone knows twitter is a hellhole where rational discussion goes to die
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of interesting how they kind of constrain you to a smaller space right because i think a lot of people would benefit from distilling their arguments into tweets Einstein once said that if you can't explain something concisely, you didn't understand it well enough.
0: It's the same wisdom that the stripper on Peep Show once told Mark Corrigan. If you can't distill what you're saying into one sentence, then your <laughs> aim's are <at> too <laughs> diffuse. <laughs> what was the context of that? He's, he's writing a business plan and he has to get it done with by a the stripper. next morning. <laughs> no, he's writing it, he has to get it done by the next morning and all the guys in the, the business want to go out, so they drag him out and he's sitting there with his laptop on the strip club. <laughs> She's just giving him business advice. Oh, cool. It's like, my aims are not too diffuse. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, so let's, let's kind of move on and we'll look at some of the arguments on both sides now. Mm. So, under what circumstances would working at Facebook make you a bad person? I think one thing that is clear, and we kind of alluded to this earlier on, is that if you, by virtue of your seniority or, or the specific nature of your work, are directly, specifically contributing to the negative elements, or you're one of the few people who legitimately can stop them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that, that's pretty bad. That's consistent with, being, with having a, ne- a bad character. To an extent, I can almost find irredeemable. Like, I, I can't see, for example, a world where what Zuckerberg is doing now makes sense in some sort of longer scale as like a positive thing maybe maybe he's like a Dominic Cummings type like tear it all down <laughs> but you know I, I don't agree with that perspective I think it's reckless
0: if you're if you're literally head of addictive UX and imagine if that's a real yeah. title I mean, I mean
1: you know what, they're gonna they're gonna be named something obtuse but there's gonna be someone whose job is effectively that I, I think
0: if that's your job you know you don't really have much of a leg to stand on I mean okay god it always comes back to the Nazis but If you're just a regular low-level bureaucrat nazi versus hitler or one of the guys who's like really driving the bad stuff and could reasonably stop it there's definitely a moral difference there
1: yeah you know we're not saying people who work at facebook are nazis (laughs) to (laughs) clarify that we're extrapolating away and dealing with principles and concepts and nazis are actually quite convenient because it's it's an extreme argument that touches on that question of how culpable is a small cog in a big evil machine and the reason people always refer to Nazis is just because, I suppose, it simplifies it by giving an example of a big evil machine that everyone just accepts as evil.
0: And, you know, Facebook isn't that. Like we said, Facebook is mixed. If you see Facebook ads saying, this podcast sucks, then,
1: <laughs> you know, Zuck is out to get us and, yeah. and he's onto us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So I don't think that is too controversial, that view that we just shared. And to be fair, to kind of back that up, I've not got evidence, but I'd say pretty reliably, if you surveyed people, you know what Facebook is, asked if they thought Zuckerberg and Sheryl Sandberg weren't great people, maybe specifically were bad people. I think you'd probably get an overwhelming yes. Certainly you'd get that from relevant people. But maybe this kind of severe form of argument impacts so few people that it's not really that interesting or useful, right? Saying Hitler was a bad person is a much less interesting question than asking, is the average Nazi a bad person? Mm-hmm. So what about the regular Joe who writes crappy junior code that makes your like button work? You know, or does, who does something else entirely? Are they complicit? Importantly, I think
0: Facebook is a similar problem to, but significantly worse than, a big fossil fuel company like BP. Firstly, they seem to have aligned their values and incentives such that short of changing their business model, they just don't seem to be able to do well without also doing harm. It's growth over everything, and they've gone big on the ads model and limiting no one from using it and getting as much of your attention as possible, good or bad. So being complicit with that just doesn't really have much leg to stand on. They're unless... on
1: legs today. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> unless, unless you're sabotaging the company by taking a fat paycheck and drawing down a huge salary for being a
1: terrible employee on purpose. I mean, yeah, I mean then... we've all done that before,
0: right? <laughs> Mesut Ozil. <here's> <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> for
1: those who don't know, he plays football, soccer. It's he's, for not, Arsenal. He's, he's not great. And he refuses to leave.
0: But yeah, the biggest difference with someone like BP is that Facebook has a choice. They make so much money at such a great operating margin. It could be a reasonable midterm argument for public image and to avoid harsh regulations, just choose not to do some of the crappier things they do. Like essentially they could regulate themselves. Also, unlike someone like BP or a gambling company, they can choose their business model much more freely. Imagine if Facebook slowly moved to being a subscription model. And that's something that Jaron Lanier puts forward it's possible without fundamentally changing the product. Whereas a gambling product can't really do that.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're selling gambling, maybe you can change the form of the gambling, but it's gambling and gambling's bad, right? Yeah. These guys have explicitly chosen a monetization model and they've chosen one that promotes negative outcomes. They could change it. And with optionality comes culpability. Yeah. I mean, where there is no choice, there's no moral responsibility, right? Okay. So following that up, if you're a cleaner at Facebook, we'll give you a pass. But <laughs> I think I think for the vast majority of people, the big negative mark against you, so on that is a small cog culpable, the big negative mark against you is that even if you are a small cog in a big machine, if you're working at Facebook, you almost certainly have extreme optionality. You could be earning maybe similar, maybe more, but definitely good money working at a less morally ambiguous institution. If you're willing to take a big pay cut, you could work at a company that actively does good. You, you, if you are one of the people who works in these companies, you basically have the pick. Mm.
0: And I mean, to the extent that that's not the case, you're valuing your pay over the benefit of wider society. You know, that's probably what like, all that the people kind of are, sounds like
1: a bad person thing,
0: right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's that's probably what all the people who said yes when when we posed this question and when you first read it. If your instinctive feeling was yes, that's kind of what you're feeling that to do so to work at Facebook is a selfish
1: move. Mm, that feels no bueno to me. That means not good in Spanish. <laughs> you know, I um I've been learning Spanish recently. I've been saying uh, mucho. To my Spanish friends, it means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: means a lot to them.
1: <laughs> oh, it does. No, I missed that point. Damn it. Anyway, I, I mean, it, for those who listen to our vegetarian veganism episode, or, or is it immoral to eat meat? I think, basically, on that point of, you know, it, it's a selfish move to make the money, it, it's a bit annoying, essentially, that there's this pressure on us, as in this case, we're not consumers, but citizens, yeah. members of the employment market. It's that there's pressure on us rather than regulators to sort this stuff out. But given the situation as it is, we, we need to step in and do what we can. Imagine if Facebook just couldn't hire good talent without putting out some believable evidence that they are going to make meaningful change to their mission statement and methods of operating. People just had principles and said, I will refuse to work for these kind of companies. Granted, loads of investment banks and stuff, people kind of feel that way towards. And, and the way they deal with it is they just make the salaries even higher. <laughs> <laughs> so is our conclusion just that
0: Yes, you are a bad person if you work at Facebook. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: uh, <laughs> that's the end of the podcast. No, I, I think, okay, we, we, we definitely agree that given that you accept that Facebook is doing that harm and does need a correction, of course, you're doing something bad by working there. As to whether you're a bad person, that, that's more nuanced, right? Which mm-hmm. is coming back to that friend who gave that opinion that sounded petty, but actually, I think, reflected something somewhat deep. We'll talk through some of the reasons that it might make it okay, and they they might balance it, genuinely. It may make sense in in a wider context, especially from a consequentialist perspective. But I reckon someone like Kant or or like a rules-based ethicist, given that you're doing something bad, would just give it a no. His rule that you have to respect people as ends in themselves. If you have to respect people as ends in themselves, then you can't harm them to progress your career or make money to do good things with, or, you know, we'll come to that stuff. Whatever your justification is you're just not respecting them as ends, so you're doing something wrong. doesn't seem consistent with a rule that we could all follow, right? And it would seem consistent with negative behavior.
0: Cool, let's move on to the next section then. Why might
1: it be okay, or maybe even good? Okay, is there, is there bias in the, the fact that we said, is it okay, or maybe even good, as <laughs> opposed to just good? <laughs>
0: Why can we tolerate people working yeah. on <laughs> When I was asking people this, it was interesting, because a lot of people, just kind of intuitively feel the way that we just described, like Facebook is bad and assuming you have some kind of choice over where you work. Choosing to work somewhere that is now so widely known to have harmful effects on society, you are by extension doing a bad thing. Ego, you're a bad person. That bit's more nuanced, as, as mentioned.
1: It's true, but some people did say the opposite,
0: right? Right. Some people answered no, and almost without hesitation. They had a few reasons, and we'll go through all of those now. First, a job is just a job. That's, that's kind of the essence of the first argument. You work there, you get paid. The decisions taken by your employer are their responsibility. You're just there to carry it out. Second argument is necessity. So let's say you don't have a whole lot of choice about where to work because job market is tight or whatever the situation is. If you don't have that much choice and you, you end up in a job there, that potentially absolves you of some blame. But personally, I think that's a bit weak for, for some of the reasons that we've discussed. Yeah, it's just, it's just factually not correct, right? Yeah. If you're working at Facebook, as we said, you're probably talented. You can mm-hmm. do good things. Thirdly, another reason, it could depend on the kind of work that you're doing. This is a big one. A bit like we said, if you're if you're doing something good within the company, i.e., you're there to fight fake news, then is it bad to work there? If you're doing a good thing, provided you're actually trying, and fighting fake news
1: doesn't mean promoting. And then I guess the fourth one would be that consequential argument that we said where it could be some sort of necessary step to doing further good. We'll come to that one in a second. But on that third point you mentioned, depends if the work you're doing is good, there's a bit of a conflict of interest there, right? Like fake news is good for the platform. So if you're there to fight it, it's unlikely that uh, <laughs> unlikely you're going to be around for long, right? That's, that's factually what's actually been the case. Zuck and Cheryl are going to give you not many resources or, or airtime. Uh, I think that's part of the reason so many people leave. The example I keep referring to that Yael Einstat, um, Reed Hastings was on the board. Yeah, um, Several other high-profile board members basically are like, okay, they're not gonna do the right things and I don't wanna be culpable, so I'm leaving. Mm, They
0: recognize that they're complicit, right? Yeah. A couple more small reasons. One, you may hold different values or viewpoints. So you may somehow form the opinion that Facebook is not net negative. You may- (laughs) Somehow, that's very judgy. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, you may view Facebook specifically as having the potential to do more good than harm and that the good is the part that's worth focusing on while minimizing the harm. So connecting the world, as per Zook's founding vision, that's a worthwhile endeavor. And maybe you believe that you can change the company from the inside. I mean, there's not a lot to commend that. Just look at
1: Tristan. Tristan is the ginger guy from that social dilemma. Yeah. yeah. And at some point, it's clarified. You see the name, you're like, oh, Tristan. And he's like, no, 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 Tristan. Um, <laughs> which I thought was Tristan. Amazing. Tristan. Yeah. It's very memorable then. Yeah. I'm going to be Anthony from now on so that everyone knows. I think on this point, it's interesting to point out I recently read an article where it's like, study finds that chief diversity officers don't impact diversity. You have to bear in mind like i don't want to say that anyone who has that opinion is naive because there could be legitimate reasons why you know you are the person who could make a difference You're talking about changing an organization changing from the inside, the, from the inside yeah but i think in fact these companies have a history of giving someone a title telling everyone externally look we're doing something about it and mm-hmm. then that person is not equipped to do anything about it and eventually chooses to move on but people have been placated by the fact that they hired someone with that ob- obsequious title Interesting, and here's another thing to think about. You may think that
0: it's the government's responsibility to regulate if companies are doing bad things. So, as long as it's not illegal to work at Facebook,
1: you're not doing anything wrong. So, to basically good and bad is synonymous with what's legal or illegal. I feel like that's similar to that first line of argument where it's, I'm just a worker, so I'm not morally responsible. I feel like it's a pretty lazy way of approaching morality. You know, oh, it's not legal, therefore it's okay. That's the same reasoning that justifies tax evasion and makes people like Mr. Trump very, very smart for not, <laughs> for not paying tax, which I don't think is correct. According to his records, he's just a really bad businessman. So it's a relevant point to all
0: tech firms, though. I mean, he's looking at Amazon, Google, everyone yeah, else that are paying tax. A big part of that net negative,
1: yeah, that they do a really good job of not paying tax.
0: And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that governmental argument holds much water. But yeah, that's another point. Put that to one side. The final argument, mm-hmm. the fourth one that we mentioned you could work at Facebook maybe just for a short time and still do net good because it might even empower you to do good. And this is basically the concept of effective altruism. So and tell us about that.
1: Oh, yeah. For those who aren't aware, I, I like this. Effective altruism is this idea put forward by an Oxford philosopher called Will McCaskill. And his whole thesis is basically, how do we take an analytical approach to doing the most good possible? And we're going to be altruistic. Let's quantify it and find the way that actually maximizes that output. And he basically applies this to smart graduates and he posits this surprising conclusion, which is that if you really care about doing good and you're smart, go and become an investment banker. Why? So his, his argument is basically that you can be a vampire squid <laughs> um, and you don't have to care about morality anymore because squids are amoral, amor- as we discussed in the last episode. No, the real reason that he puts forward is basically that If you're actually taking an analytical approach, by becoming a banker, working high finance, working at Facebook, you're taking on a really high paying career, you can earn a lot of money, and then you can commit to funding good projects with it. You could also build authority, credibility, which can be used later in your career to do that. And that's something that you may just not be able to do if you go into charity work, for example
0: this is the 80,000
1: hours idea, right? Yes. So he basically says 80,000 hours is the average length of a person's career. So you can either spend 80,000 hours working on projects that do good, or you can spend them making a lot of cash, building a lot of power, and then using that to support loads of these projects. I guess to a extreme It's basically the argument that the lifetime charity worker does less good than Bill Gates.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you can see that, right? I love the idea of effective altruism. I think all charitable projects and social enterprises should quantify their impact. We should be analytical about it. We should be very targeted about where to focus our attention. Will McCaskill has this TED talk. I remember he gives this really striking example. He talks about animal welfare and he points out that billions of animals are kept in shocking conditions in battery farms versus only a few million that are kept in rescue shelters. But if you look at the disparity between the donations received by rescue shelters versus those received by people promoting animal welfare and battery farms, it's it's way off. Like way more money goes to the rescue shelters, even though that's where far fewer of the animals exist. Yeah,
1: so it's actually just not efficient. Yeah. You're trying to maximize your output.
0: And that's that's his point is that if you look at problems in this way maximizing output, it starts to change your approach and, and mm. I, I just think that makes makes a
1: lot of sense. It's, but, it's very Kantian, right? It's it's that you should acknowledge your duty and do what's most effective as opposed to do what's most gratifying. It's true. I, I struggle a little bit
0: with the banking conclusion but that's just because yeah. I feel like it's a shame for smart people not to dedicate their direct time, like 80,000 hours, you know, that's plenty of time to do a lot of good and the charity sector is one that could always
1: benefit from bright ideas and talent and innovation. Mm. Anyway, we've gone to a ton of detail there but if you play this the Facebook question. Basically, you're arguing that working at Facebook in any of its well-paying roles is, is analogous, right? If, if you do good with your money outside, you could actually be net good overall. And, and beyond the money, you know, there's other benefits that you can use to do net good. So it's meeting people, it's credibility. If it's a short, necessary evil, it can maybe still net okay. If you work at Goldman Sachs, but you know, you only do it for a few years to make some savings and build some cred to, to then launch your hemp t-shirt business or whatever it is that you do that's super cool. You know? <laughs> is that t yeah. t-shirt business super altruistic? I don't know. Man. I, I, <laughs> something actually good. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe that actually nets out okay. So the cash
0: donation point, that raises an interesting kind of side question. Maybe we'll assume that investment bankers don't hurt society, but what if Facebook is hurting society? You know, can, can you offset badness? Can you spend your career working to get people hooked on their smartphones, but then donate a lot of your earnings to climate change relief and still come out net good?
1: So I guess the difficulty there is this is kind of that consequentialist argument of could you torture someone for the greater good? Or like, Mm. could you have a small class of slaves if it meant that everyone else had a better life? There's obviously like some extreme where I start to step into realms where people intuitively are just like, this is just too bad, even though it's only affecting a few people and helps everyone else.
0: It's ironic because this is the other way around, isn't it? It's like, it's a few people affecting everybody. Yeah.
1: yeah. (laughs) So, you know, some, some people might say no, or at least they might say no, it's not possible to offset that badness. Or at least they'd say that it's kind of an inconsistent view. But, you know, life is complex. It's, it's hard to quantify that goodness and badness unless you're applying it specifically to carbon. More on that later. And so it's, it's better to care and do some good, right? Incremental change is better than no change. In theory, it's possible is basically what I'm saying. But if making more money is only a percentage outcome of doing more harm through Facebook, then I don't really see how it could add up. Okay, quick final question from a friend. If working at Facebook makes you bad, or say for the sake of argument, it does, does using facebook make you culpable so interesting and i guess maybe a little bit if you are starting q on groups and stuff yeah <laughs> but you know we gave the example of goldman Sachs, vampire squid people <laughs> whatever noise they make <laughs> <laughs> <It's lizards. laughs> oh my God. Have you ever watched a goldman person smile but yeah like okay if i say goldman is so bad should i invest in their funds probably not but i also conversely i don't say that heroin users are, are bad people i think they're victims so i think the fundamental difference there is choice and optionality, right? And coercion. Can we reasonably live a modern life without accessing social media? And if we're saying this stuff is designed to be addictive, does that really make it fair to then say people are culpable for using it? Basically, in the analogy, it does seem closer to the heroin user than being an investor in a goldman's fund yeah you know you kind of don't have a choice you need to use social media to function in modern society and it's designed to be addicting and where there's no choice there's no moral judgment for example when someone is deemed as insane it could be a reason to Mm. literally not be found guilty of something right Mm -hmm. an extreme but you have some choice so i think to kind of to summarize that i don't think blame lies with the users it's funny that you say users because that's my favorite quote from social dilemma there are only two industries in the world
0: that refer to their customers as users One is big tech and the other is drug dealers. Yeah,
1: it's funny (laughs) that I was saying that they're more like heroin users than Goldman investors.
0: Yeah, it's fitting, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, so let's wrap this up. Where do we come down on this, Anthony?
1: I think we both basically ended up agreeing that it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing to work there, but that maybe there's some wiggle room in some circumstances and we could find it to be justified. So it's a career path I totally could have seen myself taking. I could understand working there for a year or two for the quick career boost make a little bit of cash, meet great people. But I wouldn't say such a person is doing something bad unless their work was seriously negative or that they were a bad person necessarily. But I do have to admit, when I start to see someone who's been there for more than three to five years and there's not some sort of expression of a clearly stated mission somehow, in Mm -hmm. at least their title or literally in them saying so, to be trying to correct those issues by fighting internally, I think you're starting to stray into that area of benefiting from the harm just too much to justify.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I, I mean, I think similar to the vegan episode, I guess what we're hoping for here is that regulators will get involved. And maybe if you're listening to this in the future, they have. And... Yeah,
1: maybe Biden's listening.
0: <laughs> Big up Joe. Yeah, um, Joe, please do something. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think that you're right when you said that Facebook has gotten to the point where it's basically like a utility now, right? It's so prevalent that governments really have no choice but to get involved. It looks like that's happening, albeit slowly. So they need to come up with ways to limit election interference. They need to limit the addictive aspects of the design. And if it's possible, they need to mitigate the spread of fake news. So it's, it's a shame that a company as powerful as Facebook can't take more responsibility for that without the need of regulation, because for all their faults, there's clearly a lot of talented people who've created this. But yeah, I'd agree. I think for the most part, I kind of come down on the side that it's a bad thing to work there.
1: It's ironic because I think there's probably a lot of people who are like, I'm not a bad person who work there. And it's like, we don't think you are. Please do something about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah e- either, either leave or fight the fight internally yeah if you work at facebook tell us what you think yeah oh also sorry one thing that you just reminded me about there you know limiting the addictive aspects we focus so much on the undermining of democracy we didn't talk about just the mental health aspects Mm. we'll gloss over it this isn't the place for scientific facts there's a lot of evidence that it's extremely harmful especially on young people's mental health yeah
0: we talked a little about kids and exposure to adverts but i think as you mentioned, one of the things we didn't even touch on enough is just body image, teen suicides going up. Teen it's depression quite, and anxiety as yeah, you well. Know? It's scary. It's yeah. it's
1: bad. It definitely needs to be anyway needs to be done. Write to us, get involved. Ironically, follow our Facebook page. <laughs> Send us some vitriol. We'll reply. We'll be like addicted and have to fight with you. <laughs> exactly. Or maybe Facebook will shut down our page. Oh my they'll, they'll, Oh, they'll finally label someone as hate speech. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: All um, right. Well, that was a that was a good, fun episode. I enjoyed that. Yeah. Let's make some time
1: quickly for some listener comments. Listener comments. Okay. We got a lot of response on on Reddit, particularly, but we saw a lot of people commenting on the morality of eating meat. A lot of people basically were pro the reducing meat consumption argument, mostly for environmental reasons. But my favorite argument is the following. So I'm not vegetarian, but I'm seriously considering it, and it all comes down to my stupid brain repeating cow doll. I'm Buddhist but I've been thinking about how DAO fits into my views and kind of hit a snafu. Okay, so I don't know what snafu is. Snafu is confused or chaotic state. Situation normal, all effed up. Um, <laughs> can we do that, Kevin? Yeah. So Tao, I think, is like the kind of path. Thing. Like the road to enlightenment? Yes, it, something like that, sure. And he says, if Tao is the path to reach the ultimate meanness, then doesn't a cow have a Tao to reach the ultimate cowness? <laughs> if I eat that cow, can the cow ever reach its potential? And if not, have I taken away its chance to reach that tier and freedom from samsara? Either way, it's a a moot point since I won't have control over what I eat for the next few months. Why? Where are you? Are you you okay? (laughs) Maybe maybe in the military or something. But yes, I I thought that that was amusing, but legitimate. Is your path to self-actualization more valuable than a cow's path to self-actualization? does it cow have a path to self-actualization? It's a new hashtag, me, moo. <laughs> <laughs> cow <down. laughs> Oh, Jake, what are we talking about next week? Oh, or, right. or we're, we're going to try to do this every two weeks. We're busy people, guys. So
0: for our next episode, we have a few choices, but I think one of the things we'd like to go into, because it's such a classic moral
1: question that people love to debate. In the UK. In the UK. But I guess, no, it's relevant in the US as well. In fact, you can literally say the same question, and it means two things. Are football players overpaid? Yeah, but it depends if you say football or football exactly it does so plenty to get
0: into there just to round this off guys if you like the podcast please like it leave us a review on apple Podcasts. especially if you're in america we don't have nearly enough reviews on our us page but we know that loads of our listeners are based out there so please drop us one of those and subscribe if you don't
1: are you really a fan also if you know the secret lizard people handshake then like and follow we're cool bro (laughs) (laughs) until next time guys take care.